Barry, I am melting here. It is a insane 32 degrees Celsius here in London. And it's just been a constant week of absolute sheer heat. We are in dire need of some rain. I went to the park on the weekend and the thing, everything is just, you know, not green. It's like yellow. It's like dry. It's just not like London. I'm dying here. It doesn't sound like London at all, Chad. It must be this global warming thing. Maybe it's not a joke after all. Maybe it's actually yeah. changing the weather. It certainly sounds like London has been a crazy, crazy week. I wish we could borrow some of that heat down this side, but I know ours is coming later in the year, so we won't get too greedy just yet. Absolutely. I know you've been moaning for weeks on end, um, but I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we didn't get that. Um, but now it's my turn to do the moaning. So uh, anyway, everyone, you are tuned in for a crack of an episode. Uh, we're looking through our show notes. It's going to be a good one. Welcome. Pond across the pond with Barry and Chad. Well, welcome back to Across the Pond. I do love tuning in on a normally Monday. Today's a Tuesday, Barry, because you've had some internet issues. Oh my gosh, I'm sure we can all relate. Yeah, it's one of those, Chad, where internet's become so important to all of us that when it goes down for a few days, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I lost my mind this weekend. <laughs> I got very angry and very frustrated because I didn't have internet for four and a bit days. Oh um, and I realized how much I actually rely on it for work, for entertainment, for basically everything. And when you can't really go to a coffee shop or to a library right now, you kind of need it at home. Yeah. The fact that it went down with basically no warning was just very frustrating. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. And you mentioned that you weren't actually able to even get the the reason for what's happening. That's even more frustrating. Dude, that's that's the thing. I had like I had three different sets of technicians. I was on the phone with like <laughs> six different support people over the four days. Oh and with the one day it just started working again. And so I don't even have the closure of knowing why it didn't work or why it works now. Oh, and so no. I'm terrified to even touch it at this point. I'm like, just do your thing. I'm not even going to think about it. Just work. <laughs> um, but it was one of those chat. I, I really, I, and I never really get like this. Like my personality, I don't really have a temper. I don't really get angry that often. Yep. This weekend, I was a miserable human. <laughs> I do not blame you at all. I can completely relate. But anyway, I'm glad we're here now. And uh, like I said, we're going to get stuck into a cracking episode. Shall we start? Let's do it, Chad. The week that was. Alrighty, so let's start off with the week that was. And we're going to start off, unfortunately, Barry, on a quite a somber note, really. And we're mm. talking about the massive explosion. I'm not sure, if Barry, if you saw the videos, but I could not believe my eyes. Looking on from the vantage point of a little boat in the sea, we're talking, of course, about the Beirut explosion, um, where you can actually see these clouds of smoke coming in different colors, um, really just over the whole city, kind of with that mushroom type uh, explosion, really, really concerning stuff. Yeah, it was really, really terrifying videos from different angles, different people's obviously videos on Twitter was going crazy. And for me, it wasn't just the smoke, it was the shock wave. When you yep. watch the explosion happen and you see the shock like ripple through the city, like te tearing glass windows out, destroying buildings, killing people, unfortunately. It really was a terrifying thing to watch. And when it happened, of course, everyone ran into full-on conspiracy mode and they were worried about some sort of terrorist attack or something because it was of that sort of magnitude and yeah. coming out of absolutely nowhere. And some of the mushroom clouds looked really suspicious. It was for an hour or two after it happened, the whole of the internet was trying to figure out what was going on. And I think there was a lot of very scared people because they didn't quite understand what was happening, Chad. Of course, and I suppose that's a natural tendency, Barry, especially when you see an explosion like this, um, not expecting, I guess, anything of this kind of magnitude. 
And the first place to go is to all the conspiracy theories. And I suppose when there is no clear messaging from the media, ultimately you have to kind of come up with your own story, I, I suppose, to try and figure out what's going on. So obviously now a little bit of time has passed and I guess the dust has settled. Um, we've now found out that basically this blast was caused by 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate. Uh, I can't even comprehend that kind of stockpile. No, it's it's crazy. And for it to be so close to a city was the major problem here. Like you shouldn't have that amount of explosives sitting anywhere near your port or anywhere near your major part of the city. And unfortunately, it was sitting there, I think for six years, they were saying. So it's been sitting wow. there for a long time, hasn't been moved, hasn't been used, just kind of sitting there. And unfortunately, something happened, something disparked it or something happened and it just completely demolished and made a hole in the city. I think it killed 160 people, Chad, injured about 6,000 and it destroyed tons and tons of houses and, and buildings in the area. So really, really devastating impact from, from a piece of explosive almost that often is used in fertilizer or used in some sort of explosive device okay. that was sitting in that warehouse and we don't quite know why it was there. Yeah, this is the whole thing. I wanted to go a little bit more into that, Barry, because, um, yeah, I mean, ammonium nitrate, what is it? You mentioned before offline that there was a scientist a, a while back that actually discovered the, the effects of using this uh, particular commodity as a fertilizer, um, but it's also used as an explosive, I believe. Yeah, it's a very complicated story, but one of my favorite ones, because it's so interesting about human psychology and human nature. So when the wind world is going through the agricultural revolution, we're trying to figure out how do we feed the, 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 the masses of people that are coming onto this earth, right? Yep. And we're trying to improve farming methods. And there was a guy called Fritz Haber who found this really cool way of using chemistry to bring more nutrients out of the soil by using ammonium nitrate right. as fertilizer, right? And so I don't exactly understand all the specifics, but what he did was basically multiplied the yields of these soils by exponential amounts that allowed humanity to feed itself and really pushed it into the new agricultural revolution. Okay. And so he did a really good thing with that science. But in the, at the same time, what they realized was that it also had these explosive properties. And so his, his, his exact method was used in the atomic bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki and, and Hiroshima. And so he felt tremendous guilt about that because he saw what happened with his invention in a way, but it wasn't the intended consequence, right? It wasn't right. what he was trying to do. And if you read books about him, we read some interviews or things written about him, he, they talk about how his existential kind of angst about watching that happen. And so it is a, it's a fascinating story about how one piece of chemistry can do so much good as well as so much bad. Yeah. And in this case, in Beirut, unfortunately, the explosive nature was what we're talking about. And unfortunately, it caused a lot of people to lose their lives. Just insane. And yeah, 160 people, um, a completely, completely unnecessary thing to happen. Um, it's just devastating. So I, I guess the question here really is, why was that kind of stockpile sitting there? And I believe, like you said, it's been sitting there for six years. Uh, why has it been there for so long? Now, the thing is, obviously, we've seen this past week that the, the, the Lebanon prime minister and basically the entire government has now resigned uh, following this event. Um, and, you know, that obviously uh, does not look good. No, definitely. I think what came to light, according to some of the reports that I read, was that there was a report that was given to the government or given to the presidency about this thing about what, one or two months ago, saying that okay. maybe we should move this or maybe it shouldn't be there. And so I'm not sure, I'm assuming they read it, but maybe they had too much on their plates or they had other priorities or whatever happened, but they, they got this report about this exact piece of explosive and did nothing about it. And then all of a sudden this happens. And so unfortunately with hindsight, it obviously looks like a terrible breach of negligence and we don't actually know what happened behind the scenes there. But having seen the report, they knew it was there. It wasn't like they weren't aware of it. And then it goes on, goes on to do something like this. Um, unfortunately, they, 
they felt like they had to resign. And I think in the circumstances, it's kind of the only option that you have. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Um, but I mean, it doesn't look good that that report, if it did exist, was not actioned upon. Uh, this kind of you know reminds me of the discussion we had, Barry, a little while back about uh, the Crown, the, the Crown season three and the Aberfan disaster, where I believe yes, there were yes. also loads of concerns ahead of time about the stockpiles. And uh, ultimately, it was a matter of time before some sort of disaster did actually happen. Um, and like I said, this, that does seem like quite the similarity here. Um, the only thing for me now is uh, obviously as the financial situation in Lebanon is not so great, obviously the whole world is struggling uh, with the you know, economic crisis that we have on our hands at the moment. Uh, but at this point in time, the Lebanese people don't even have strong leadership to come to the rescue. Yeah, it's the worst possible time for this. I mean, Lebanon has been going through some real dire straits over the last couple of years. Their economy is not growing at all. There's lots and lots of poverty. There's lots of problems there. And so it's the last thing that you want. Like you say, in the middle of this pandemic, they're still fighting that. And yep. then the, the, this, this happens and 300,000 people lose their homes and lose jobs and a huge economic cost as well. So like you say, there's going to need there's going to need to be some courageous leaders to step into that vacuum and try and figure out how do you turn the ship around? How do you improve morale? How do you get Lebanon back on its feet? I know I've been chatting to some of my Lebanese friends here in South Africa and they really feel for it because that's their homeland, right? And they really are in dire straits right now. So it's going to take a lot of guts, take a lot of time to rebuild things and get things back to whatever normal is. Um, and try and get Lebanon back onto back onto the right foot. My gosh, just tragic, tragic event. And I, I just hope that we see some sort of inquiry come out of this. And, uh, you know, people ultimately get the answers to their questions um, because, you know, there's a massive, massive amount of lives lost, 160 people. That can't just happen and, you know, nothing gets followed up on. So hopefully we see that come up uh, soon. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just absolute condolences to all of those people in Lebanon. Um, I, yeah, I really just, my heart goes out to you. Yeah, thoughts and prayers to everyone that side and anyone who has family that side. Uh, we really will be looking forward to their recovery and hopefully Lebanon can take this and kind of use it as a catalyst to turn their, their fortunes around. Absolutely. Well, Barry, we're going to transition on fairly quickly, I would say, to tech. It didn't take us very long to get there. Obviously, we know we love technology on Across the Pond and hopefully all of our listeners do too. Uh, this last past week, we actually saw a announcement come out from Instagram and with a very, very quick, in very quick succession, the actual uh, imminent release of a feature called Reels. This is basically looks to be a direct competitor to TikTok. And uh, I mean, I'm just really intrigued to, to pick your brain, Barry, and to talk about this story. It's the classic Facebook game plan, Chad, is find a feature from someone else that's doing really well yep. and copycat it, just basically pull it into your own like user base and leverage the fact that you have this ginormous scale across the world. So like you say, it is basically TikTok that is being brought into Instagram itself and they're calling it Reels. With the same features, the same kind of viral nature, they're trying to put the music underneath like TikTok did. And they basically try and compete directly with TikTok. And it's an interesting point of time to be doing this because there's been lots of talk about Donald Trump and whatnot looking to ban TikTok potentially in the US. And so it's a very interesting, very convenient time for Instagram <laughs> to get into this game. Um, and it remains to be seen as to whether it's going to be as successful as what they did with Snapchat Stories, where they pulled it in and basically demolished Snapchat. Are they going to be able to do the same thing to TikTok? And I wouldn't bet against them, Chad. Well, this is the thing. I've not tried out either of these two propositions myself. Um, but it's, it is very interesting timing. Not just are we talking about the ongoing scrutiny around the world about the privacy concerns of TikTok. But we're also talking a week after Mark Zuckerberg had to sit in Congress 
about being anti-competitive. And I mean, what a move and what a time, right? I can't imagine what it was sitting in his head when he was sitting in those hearings, knowing that Reels was like a week away. How do you how do you like stay calm and talk about that? Because again, it's it's that consolidation of Facebook's power. If Facebook is able to siphon up that TikTok usage, especially in the States, and it makes him even more powerful. And so I'm sure the regulators lost their minds when they saw Reels came out after this. Um, yeah. It really is. You can't script this kind of stuff. I mean, I can see a blockbuster movie in the same way that the social <laughs> network, the social network too, is going to be about this whole, this whole thing, right? So I'm looking forward to that movie because this is a, this is a blockbuster thing and there's a lot to come on the story, Chad. It's certainly not the, the end of this. Well, I can definitely tell you what his reaction was, um, you know, sitting there in Congress, knowing what's going on, getting grilled. And then all of a sudden, surprise! <laughs> And uh, you know, he, he just he just did it. He just released that. Um, obviously, guys, you know we've got our jingles, and we we're gonna use them whenever we can, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. It definitely was a surprise. And I think what remains to be seen is if it's gonna come in and like do similar to what Instagram TV did, which didn't really work out in my opinion. Yep. I don't think many people are consuming on Instagram TV, but maybe the short form nature and the fact that it's gonna live in your feed and live in your stories is gonna make it powerful. And uh, if it can kind of pull that TikTok audience into Instagram, perhaps the audience that hasn't tried TikTok yet but has heard about the heard about the kind of viral yeah. nature, it could be a huge hit for them. Um, but again, you wonder if the regulators are going to have to step in and say, "Hold on a minute, <laughs> you can't control every single piece of the social pie." Yeah, it's just insane. Uh, how on earth do you get one company that is just too much of everything? I I wonder whether they you know forcing a bit of a risk on themselves. Um, does this, you know, dilute some of their other uh, potential earnings from their other ventures? I don't know if it was a case of, I guess, people spending time on these other apps anyway. Um, and you may be introducing a new range of, uh, of user into your platform. You know, potentially that, that could be a good strategy. But you're right. I don't think IGTV has worked out in the way that it, they wanted it to. And we've spoken about this predominantly in my mind. It's because of the fact that it is tailored to mobile devices. I'm still waiting for an Instagram app for my iPad. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're ever going to give that to you, Chad. I think they're <laughs> focusing completely on the mobile experience. Yeah. And like you say, like Instagram TV doesn't work on a mobile. It just doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Like that's what YouTube yeah. is for, and that's why YouTube is so great. But Instagram TV just hasn't worked the way they wanted to. Chad, did you know that they've tried to do this real thing before? Okay, no, I did not know that, Barry. Uh, when did they try to do that? In 2018, apparently. So I didn't know either. Apparently, they 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 built an app called Lasso or Lasso. I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, in 2018, <laughs> okay. which was apparently the direct TikTok competitor, but instead of being inside of Instagram, it was a separate app under the Facebook banner. And the fact that we don't know about it says a lot about its success. Apparently, it was an absolute failure. It had like 600,000 downloads in total, which is a very small number when you compare it to Facebook's actual user yeah. base. And so apparently, they have had a go at this in the past. And uh, I obviously didn't know about it back then. But now they're pulling it into the Instagram app itself. So my, my concern, Chad, is do you think it's going to saturate your feed to an extent where yeah. Instagrams have become just too much? I mean, we've seen the stories and the feed and people following a lot of people these days. Instagram can become a little bit oversaturated. And I wonder if bringing yet another feature into this is going to make it a little bit bloated, kind of like how the original Facebook kind of feels now. Uh -huh. What do you think about that? Absolutely. I don't spend much time in Facebook anymore because it just, it just the interface is, just, like I said, it's just too much. It's a marketplace. It's a place for videos. It's a place for pages and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I completely agree. I think as soon as they, you know, add too much stuff, it, it's definitely going to detract from my attention, certainly. 
I think one of the interesting things to chat about, Barry, is um, I, I see you made a note here about basically how the algorithm works, how TikTok works, and how, I suppose, why a lot of people have liked TikTok. The fact that you can discover, you know, new people. Um, and I believe that algorithm is just absolutely revolutionary. It's been able to sort of identify things that people wouldn't ordinarily have known themselves that they had a need for, would enjoy. Um, and it's been able to put put that in front of their faces and ultimately just expand people's horizons. Now, do you think Instagram is going to be able to do the same thing? That's the big cultural difference that I see in this move. And that's why we're confused as to what they're going to do with it. Like you say, the reason that TikTok worked, like beyond the actual virality of it, was this idea that it wasn't based off who you were following so much. Every other social network, you follow certain personalities or people that you know about, and that's what content you consume. On TikTok, you would go on and they would just serve you literally anything. They would, when you first go on, you just see the most random stuff you'll ever imagine. And that's why, that's why your first hour or two on TikTok is very confusing <laughs> because the algorithm is just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what yeah. sticks. Yeah. But then it monitors what you like. It monitors what you watch, what you skip, uh, what you like, etc. And then really starts to tweak from there. But the whole idea is getting creators in front of you that you've never heard of, that are from all around the world and are talented, but are not household names. And that's why TikTok has created celebrities that we won't even know the names of because they've become big on TikTok without having followings elsewhere. So that's kind of been the, the beauty of TikTok is that random people around the world, 14-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 21-year-olds around the world have become like real big stars of this thing because of their pure talent, not because of their branding on other social media platforms. Now, in an Instagram format, Instagram is very much based on who you follow. That's the whole thing, right? With the, with the exception of the Explore page, who you follow is what gets into your feed, and that's kind of how you consume Instagram content. And so how are they going to bring that nature of being able to discover new talent, discover new creators that don't have big brand names yet in this hub of Instagram? And what they're saying is that they, they want to try and integrate that Explore page that kind of is a... Um, what you like, algorithmic-based right. stuff that's not who you follow. And that maybe becomes what the reels is going to be. But for me, it's hard to marry the two. It's hard to marry the mm. who do I follow as well as being ex be exposed to new creators that I never would have found out otherwise. So that culture difference, I think, is going to be the yeah. major talking point of the next few months, Chad. Yeah, and also when you've got three mediums on the platform, when you've got uh, just you know static photo posts, you've got IGTV stuff, and now you've got reels as well. How is that explore page going to look? Is it going to um, I just blend everything together? Or is it going to be separate explore pages? It's really interesting, um, and I, I guess we'll have to see what happens. The one thing that I wanted to to touch on as well that you know I definitely found interesting about TikTok and TikTok's journey is that they very very they made it really easy to share your content on any platform, any social media yep. site, anywhere. Um, obviously the, you know, their logo was there and you'd be able to see who posted it and find them on TikTok if you like their stuff. Um, I don't think Instagram's going to do something similar here. That's another great point. I mean, we've seen it in the past. Facebook makes it very, very difficult to share outside of their ecosystem yeah. because they want to privilege their own stuff. And especially on Facebook itself, like they'll privilege Facebook native videos over YouTube videos in the algorithm, right? And, and so they do all, whatever they can to kind of privilege their own stuff. And TikTok did the absolute opposite. TikTok said, we want you to share this absolutely everywhere. We'll give you all the permissions. You go and use it wherever you'd like. They'll give you high quality definition, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so again, it's a cultural difference. And, and what made TikTok so, so cool and so powerful and, and such, a, such an amazing success, I don't know if Facebook's got the, the culture to be able to do that. And maybe they prove us wrong. 
But my gut feel is that maybe this becomes another one of those bloated experiences on the app that might not take off. And maybe TikTok can survive as a result. I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you there, Barry. I, I definitely, I'm with you. I don't see myself running to this new feature. I've already come across one or two reels, come across my feed, and they just haven't sparked my fancy. I think the other thing is, you know, TikTok has given people extra tools to create. And I know Instagram has been getting that way. We've spoken a lot about the filters and, uh, you know, the various uh, extra features to make stories and stuff. But I, I just don't know whether they can have all of those bells and whistles um, in, you know, the actual Reels feature. We certainly know when stories started, they were quite a way behind Snapchat, certainly in terms of the film emulations and the various things you could do with your face. Uh, but they've caught up. So whether it's a question of time, I don't know. Yeah, you can never doubt Facebook. I mean, they, they, are, they are really, really good at this, at taking great features from other people and stealing them. Yeah. Um, so you can never doubt them. And of course, Instagram has that scale that makes all of these things much more powerful. Um, but like you say, I, I'm curious to see what happens. I'm curious to see my own behavior. Like you say, I wonder how many of these I'm actually going to watch. Um, and then I'm curious if I'm going to be making any of them. Like I definitely want to test it out and see, see how it works <laughs> and whatnot. Um, but TikTok built a culture around that creation. Like there was a lot of cultural aspects of all the different effects and features and sound effects that they had. And that's what made them so unique. And so is Instagram able to pull all of that into this app and add it on top of your stories and your create and your Instagram live and all of the various mediums you can communicate? And is it, is it, does it stand on its own two feet in a way? And that only time will tell. So Barry, what's your first creation going to be? <laughs> Chad, I don't know, dude. I don't know. I've got to find the viral trend. Whatever the kids are talking about these days, these I've got to find that to jump on that. So, so who knows, Chad? But, but watch. Watch out. It's uh, coming your way. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Now, while we're on this topic, I, I suppose it's only fair to mention some more developments that's happening in the space, Barry, and that is the ongoing war. I, I feel like this is going to be a series that we one day in the future watch as an actual piece of drama. Um, that is the, the battle between the US and China, specifically uh, between Trump and China. And, uh, you know, he's decided this week that, uh, you know, he plans to ban WeChat in the U.S. Yeah, definitely. It, it is the talk of the town right now as to what's going to happen across across that sea there. And, of course, China have been banning U.S. social media apps for right. as long as we can remember, right? So you can't access any of the big US, U.S. media apps that side. And uh, for the most part, the U.S. have kind of allowed Chinese apps to live wherever they want. Um, but now with these concerns about privacy in TikTok and in WeChat, there are, there are murmurs and some very serious yeah. statements by Mr. Donald Trump himself saying that these things are going to be banned in the future. And if they do that, if the U.S. does do this, it really is going to stake a big like, kind of hole in that claim that the Internet is global, right? For the longest time, the Internet is yeah. supposed to be this ginormous interconnected network with this very decentralized and it's like anyone can put up stuff and it's this amazing piece of globalization with the exception of China, who's decided to build their own firewall around their internet, right? And we kind of just we kind of just ignored that because we didn't really want to get into into it politically, and they kind of censor all of their stuff. And there's a whole different ball game that side. But if the U.S. is going to start doing the same thing, it's going to set a real weird precedent about what is the internet these days. If certain apps can only live in certain jurisdictions, then what is the internet of the future going to look like? And so it is a big move. I think they're going to have to think about it quite carefully. But in this trade war with China, this is an amazing bargaining chip, an amazing negotiating chip. 
I mean, when they said they might ban TikTok in the US, all of a sudden TikTok were trying yep. to sell to a US company. They were doing whatever they can because they had hundreds of millions of, maybe not hundreds <laughs> of millions, they had millions of users of, in, of TikTok in the US. And so, like you say, it, it is really a trade war. Yeah, completely agree. Um, but I, I do think that that bargaining chip that comes with TikTok is a lot bigger than this bargaining chip. If we look at WeChat, I don't know about you and me, Barry, but in my circle of friends, not a lot of people use it. And from what I've, I've seen is around 20 million users uh, of WeChat in the US. And if you look at the kind of global presence of, of WeChat and the total number, that's, you know, one or two percentage points at most. I somehow don't think this is going to have a massive, massive effect on them and their earnings. Um, but it's certainly, I guess, on, on the backdrop of all of these various you know, trade wars that have been happening, I definitely don't think it's going to be taken very well. And uh, if we look at some of the potential retaliations that could happen, I've seen somebody throwing out the idea of, well, what if China said no more iPhone sales? Very, very possible. Very easy to do. <laughs> um, what would that look like? I, I don't know I don't know what they would look like, Chad. I don't I don't know how they do that because they they rely on those phones to kind of feed all their apps and kind of feed their whole internet ecosystem there. I think it's I think Apple is in a, an amazing position globally because they really do control a lot of the high end phone yeah. market, and uh, I think it's very hard to see them doing that, especially when they're when they're the ones making these things, true. right? No, that's so true. their supply chains rely on these on rely on these big iPhone sales every single year. So I don't know what the retaliation is going to be. Like you say, WeChat's not huge in the States, but it's just a psychological statement saying that, hold on, we're going to start putting an end to this stuff, especially if there are concerns about national security. And of course, we've got no idea if they're under or overreacting to that. We've got no idea what these guys are trying to do with these apps. But the fact that an internet company from China is going to be banned potentially in the US, again, sets that precedent that might set some other yeah. balls, in, balls in motion around the world. And it goes against what the internet was supposed to be in the first place. 100%, completely agree. Um, I mean, while we're here, Barry, just a, a very off-the-cuff random discussion. Let's, let's quickly chat about uh, instant messaging and how it's evolved over yours and my lifetime. Um, obviously, as computers became more and more prevalent, I think we first started with you know, things like, I guess, Skype and uh, you know, those types of computer messenger devices because we had... We had Nokia, you know, 3310s that weren't able to <laughs> even connect to the internet. Um, and that obviously evolved into, I guess, you know, in, in our time growing up, Mixit, which was a huge, huge trend. I don't know if it was around the world, if it was only a South African thing, um, but that was, that was certainly a boon. Um, followed on to BlackBerry Messenger and, uh, and, and obviously then now on to, on to WhatsApp and WeChat and the likes. I mean, it's quite an interesting journey to look back on, don't you think? And I don't know, I just get a little bit nostalgic even just thinking about it. What's amazing to me, Chad, is do you remember how expensive SMSing used to be back in the day? <laughs> yeah. So before all of these apps, you'd have to pay, you buy all your airtime and you have to yep. really think about what SMSs you send because they all cost money. And as a teenager or as a student, you really were trying to conserve your cash as best you can. And so it used to be really, really brief and only if it was very important would you send an SMS. Yep. Whereas nowadays, people just send memes to each other all day long. It doesn't <laughs> matter how many messages you send and because the cost has come down and down and down and down. Yeah. So it really has been a fascinating move, and I think it's changed the whole telecommunication system. If you just look at the, the generation that we live in, that we're much more comfortable texting than anything else. Yep. Texting has become this, this cultural phenomenon, and it's kind of, it is the means of communication for so, so many of us. And watching that kind of move throughout the, 
the different stages. I mean, I remember giving out your BBM pin was like a big deal back in the day. <laughs> and everyone would be like, what's your BBM pin? And that's how you would try and walk up to a girl at a party and get a BBM <laughs> pin. And that's how you move forward. So it really is a really interesting journey with Ooh, that. La, la. I th- <laughs> exactly. And I, th- I think it's, it's not going to end here, Chad. I mean, who knows what comes after WhatsApp? I think there's lots of stuff to come. One thing I wanted to st- I think is interesting is that do you think if Mixit had kind of got onto the smartphone world sooner or if they were actually able to, able to adapt at that point in time, do you think maybe they would have dominated the market? Because if you think about the kind of the monopoly they had at that time when it mm. wasn't on smartphones, but just before smartphones, before BlackBerry came in and, and kind of took over, if Mixit had managed to get onto a smartphone app of some sort, I wonder if we wouldn't be using Mixit today. Yeah, potentially. Mixit had some really, really cool features if we actually just think about it. And for those international listeners who may have never heard of this before, um, it was it was literally an app when, I don't know, I was probably 13, 14, 15 years old, somewhere around there. Um, and it was basically the, the, the first kind of portal, I guess, to, to the outside world. And you'd be able to chat to friends all the time. But you did have to log in and log out. I think that is a very you know, differentiating feature on the ones that we have today. But there were all of these chat rooms, Barry. Uh, I don't know about you, but I would often just, you know, wander into a chat room and just chat about random stuff with complete strangers, um, which is definitely not something we have on our our WhatsApps today. Yeah, definitely. I I think the feature of being able to log in and log out for me was my favorite feature because it meant that you weren't reachable all the time. You didn't have to be always on like you are now on WhatsApp. Like now on WhatsApp, there's this almost this tacit obligation to reply within a certain time frame when someone (laughs) messages you. And... And sometimes your day, like your day, just gets away from you. Yep. You don't get around to it, right? Whereas mix it when you're offline, everyone knew, and then like, cool, okay, he's not going to reply now, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, so I really like that feature. But yes, the social aspect of the chat rooms as well made it very unique. And I also remember sitting in some random <laughs> chat rooms and having some very strange conversations <laughs> around the around the world, right? And and kind of collecting over certain topics or certain things. I, I know my parents were very terrified of yep, those chat rooms. Sure. They, they'd heard lots of stories, yeah. and so a lot of parents weren't very happy with it. But that's the idea of the social internet, right? That's what we see on Reddit today, on Facebook groups, or on all the various niche communities that are built up online. The power of the internet is being able to collect people over a certain uh, shared interest or a shared kind of idea or shared topic. And that makes it really powerful. And so lots of interesting conversations come out of those times. Whereas WhatsApp for us is very much a private thing. It's a one-to-one kind of communication in the most part and with friends you actually know. Um, what's interesting about WeChat, Chad, is that WeChat has got some yeah. chat room features. So WeChat is, is more similar to Mixit. I would say it's kind mm. of the next generation of Mixit because it's got a lot of interesting features that Mixit had, like transactional capabilities and groups and competitions yep. and yep. brands were able to be on it. So I think WeChat's kind of the, the Mixit that I'm imagining if Mixit was able yep. to get into the smartphone world. Um, but WeChat hasn't really taken off other than Asia where it's absolutely ginormous. Really interesting. And yeah, just a just an interesting nostalgic little look back at, at where we've come from. And I'm I'm sure, as I always say, in ten years' time we're gonna be looking back, uh talking very fondly of the current iMessage that we have today, uh, which I'm sure is gonna look a lot different. Uh let's then move on, Barry, to our next segment. Stuff I found interesting. Oh, so both of us are absolute fans of good film, right? Anything done well <laughs> in a visual format. Uh, we just want to, we're going to talk about anything in that realm. And I came across an advert this week, Barry, by the the one and only Nike. Um, and, you know, what a brand. Uh, ultimately, throughout the world, everyone sees the tech. They know exactly what it is. But this advert was just absolutely noteworthy. 
Um, you also watched it, I believe. Chad, I think it might be one of the best ads I've ever seen, to be honest. <laughs> wow. Um, it's, it's, this, it's this 90-second clip, and you, it's very hard to explain. You have to go and watch yeah. it. It's called You Can't Stop Us. But basically, they did a, a split screen where they had two different um, clips going on at the same time. Yep. But they edited it in a way where it looked like it was one thing. I, 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 that's a terrible way to explain it, Chad. I don't know how else to get around to it. It, it just is insane editing. And in yep. 90 seconds, they were able to pull so much emotion and so much story out of these clips. Um, and it, it really just shows that in my mind, Chad, I don't know anyone in markets better than Nike, to be honest. I, I can't yep. think of another brand that I would put in that sort of realm. Um, the way that they market is so incredible that they end up, they end up selling Nike itself. It doesn't matter about the products. They're selling that brand, which is so powerful. Absolutely. And it's just something to be said about, I guess, I guess sport and just kind of similarities between competing, uh, self-improvement, you know, being a high-performing athlete. But like you said, in terms of the stories that they've woven into that, there's, you know, there's the tennis player who um, is practicing at home that transitions into someone on the big arena, right in front of all the cameras. You get all of that. There was also a bit of the pre and post lockdown kind of stories. There were also just the similarities across sports and it was just such a powerful piece of film. But the reason why I wanted to chat about this with you, Barry, is I don't believe this would have been possible without a bit of AI. What do you think? Link up these <laughs> two clips in a very similar fashion. The fact that they've been able to split screen two completely separate clips that blend together in the way that they've done I don't know if you'd be able to do it without AI. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think if you, I think it may, might be possible manually, but it would take you a <laughs> lifetime, right? Yeah. Because the amount of the precision makes it so powerful. This kind of ad wouldn't work if it was if it wasn't as precise as it is. Yeah. And so I wonder if they've done some sort of masking on those on those bodies and kind of track the movements and use that computationally to put them together. Um, Even just to discover the clips, I guess. Yeah, yeah, to have the insight to figure out, okay, this is kind of what I want. Because I'd imagine the marketing team is sitting there coming up with an idea. Yep. And to try and visualize that and then find the right clips, like you say, and then match them together is just amazing. And and they do it in a way that only Nike does it. And when you watch something like that, I felt so inspired by it. Yeah, Not just the well. sports stuff, but like you said, mm -hmm. the filmmaking, the ability to make something that impressive in a very short space of time. And like you say, very, very topical right now. Um, yeah. I, I was very, very impressed. And again, Nike is just gets better and better. Well, definitely go and check it out if you haven't seen it before. Like Barry said, it's called You Can't Stop Us. And it's uh, the new commercial that's been brought out by Nike. And I'm pretty sure you're going to have the same reaction that we did because it's, it's pretty extraordinary. Um, another little thing that I came across this week, Barry, which uh, I already on the notes can see you're not a fan of. <laughs> is uh, people actually putting fake background office chatter on while they work um, just to try and, I don't know, kind of simulate being in an office work environment? You can't relate. Chad, the best <laughs> part about working from home is not having to listen to other people's phone calls, other people's conversations, all the other noise. I, I really can't stand open plan offices. It, when I was working in an open plan office, I would put headphones on as much as I could, try yep. and drown it out so I could actually concentrate. So I, do, I don't get it. I, I don't understand why you'd be working from home. You've got the peace and quiet that I always wanted. And then you're now inserting office noise into your head. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> It doesn't make sense, but I guess I guess some people maybe are feeling lonely at home. They kind of aren't able to 
get that same sense of flow that you and I get when we, you know, put our headphones on and put some sort of lo-fi beats on, um, which I think we should maybe chat about as well. Uh, we, we, we spoke about this a little while back, Barry, just to try and find some productive type music. And, and we, we kind of settled on lo-fi beats being um, ultimately the playlist that gets our attention, gets us in the flow, gets us in the mood. The particular one that I listen to is called House Focus on Spotify. What's your one? And, uh, you know, maybe that'll help out anyone who's trying to get some focus while they're working. Yeah, so I've, I've been really enjoying this. There's a YouTube channel called Chilled Cow, okay. which does these kind of 24-7 live streams <laughs> of this kind of music. They've got a lot of subscribers. They've got like 6 million subscribers. And they basically put one of these live streams on. And so I normally go to this. And it's called Lo-Fi Hip Hop okay. Radio, Beats to Relax slash Study to. And it's, it's for me, that does the trick. Um, and I was saying a little bit of tongue-in-cheek about the office noise. I know people <laughs> need that kind of ambient noise sometimes. I'm just one of the people who prefers silence or prefers music more so than actual office noise. But I know people who will do the same sort of thing with coffee shop noise, where they'll, they'll insert coffee shop noise into their, 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 in okay. their head, headphones to give them that sense that they're around people and whatnot. And, and so it, at the end of the day, it's whatever works for you, Chad. <laughs> so it, um, I find it weird that you would put <laughs> office noise in there. I thought the music would be a better choice, but each one to their own, I suppose. Well, Barry, who are you to judge when you're listening to a chilled cow? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, Chad. That's a good point. I think that whatever floats your boat, right? Whatever floats your boat, whether it's <laughs> classical music, whether it's coffee shop, whether it's office noise, whether it's chilled cow, just do your thing and find your way to be productive however you do it. Um, but I, I can't do the open office plan, Chad. I really can't. No, I get that. I get that. Um, but it is, it is such an interesting thing because it's something we've never really had to chat about, how we you know, find ourselves making ourselves productive at home. Um, but I definitely think uh, those lo-fi beat playlists, uh, I'll have to check out Chilled Cow. But I, I'm very, very happy with my house focus or even lo-fi on Spotify. Um, they they just hit the sweet spot all the time and it just works makes makes a difference. Yeah, but definitely check out the Spotify thing. I I, I don't know why I play it with YouTube. It makes a lot more sense to play it from our music player. So maybe I'm just look at some Spotify stuff. Um, I know Spotify does amazing recommendations, so I'm sure you can find some really cool stuff that'll be tailored for your tastes. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, let's then move on to something Barry found really interesting this week, and I thought it was <laughs> hilarious. Um, and it actually reminds me of something, but I'm gonna get there. Tell us what you came across this week, Barry. Chad, I came across the, the great, powerful nation, the Republic of Moldosia. <laughs> now, of <What>? course, um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you're saying what right now, it's exactly the point. Because Moldosia is a tiny, tiny country. And calling it a country is even going a bit far. <laughs> Basically, there's this one random dude in the middle of Nevada in the States who decided when he was a kid, I think he decided this when he was 15 or so. Okay. Him and a mate were thinking, how cool would it be if we had our own country, right? And I think we've all been through that phase. I mean, I don't know about you, Chad, but when you're playing SimCity or The Sims, you're sure. like, oh, I'm making my own neighborhood. I'd be love to have a, like, a cool country for myself. And he decided to take it very seriously. So he created this country called Mordosia. Moldosia, I think it's pronounced. And basically, it's this little piece of land in the middle of Nevada desert. It's got its own flag. It's got its own customs official. It's got its own rules. And he made wow. himself the president. So his name, this is what he, how he signed his emails, Chad. He signed his emails, His Excellency, President Kevin Barr from the <laughs> Republic of Moldosia. How great is that as an email signature? Oh my gosh. Is it legit? Is it an actual country? Or is, has he just you know, created a thing in, and it's kind of living in his mind? Like, Is there any actual border to this place? So there's a border. And, and the beauty of this kind of, it, the beauty of the story, I think, is that 
there are no rules to this sort of thing. Like, if you want to self-declare a certain piece of land, your country, and you own that land, I mean, go go for go for it, right? There's no there's no, no one to ways. stop you because that's the whole idea of this. This whole idea of this, and so he had. It's technically it is, yeah. And so it's obviously <laughs> not in the United Nations or whatnot, but he's got a border. He's got customs patrol. He stamps your passport as you no come ways. over the line. It it is a fascinating piece of performance art. And when you first hear about it, Chad, it sounds like a crazy person, right? The first time you hear about it, you're like, okay, this guy is nuts. But what I loved about doing some research is finding out that he actually has an amazing sense of humor about it. Okay. And it's actually a piece of satire. What he's right. actually doing is making fun of how the U.S. kind of laws work. And right. all of his laws have got this weird backstory about poking fun at how the U.S. works. And he talks about them as being the enemies across the border, even though they're like four feet away. <laughs> it really is a fascinating piece of art. And I, I loved it. I love every piece of it. Oh, man, I got to check it out. I think the one thing you failed to mention is that the currency is pegged to cookie dough. That's got to be oh, my the best favorite part. country in the world. It is the best part, Chad. So uh, for anyone who knows the history of money, like for a long time, you had this thing called the gold standard, right? Where yeah. your dollar or your, your currency was based on a piece of gold and that's how you pegged it. And he's like, no, 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 none of that. We, the gold is so like last year. We're going to peg it to cookie dough. <laughs> so if you take a pound of cookie dough to that, you can, you can, oh you can convert it into, I think it's called Valora. There's their currency, I think. Okay. I can't remember. I think it's Valora. And so you take your cookie dough and you convert it into Valora and then you can use it in Moldosia. It is, it's such a great story. And the video that I watched was from guys called Yes Theory, which is an amazing YouTube channel. And they do such an amazing job of kind of poking fun at it, but also talking about how this is, is a piece of satire. And there's so much awesome humor behind everything. For example, Chad, their customs official is a mannequin. So as you come across, the customs official is standing there. And then uh, basically it stamps your passport as you walk through and then you've into Moldosia. They've got a wow. jail, they've got a library, they've got all sorts of stuff. It, it, it's a really, really funny story. Oh man, I just want to, you know, it would be really interesting to see what happens when you arrive back in the States and uh, they see your stamp from Moldosia. <laughs> are they going to, are you going to have to quarantine for, for two weeks? You know, I wonder what the COVID outbreak is doing in, in Moldosia. Uh, just such an interesting story. That's a great point. I didn't even think about the COVID numbers. I mean, the, the population is 35, Chad. So hopefully the COVID numbers are under control, but you never know, right? You never know. So the, the story that this reminded me of, and, uh, you know, I kind of wanted just to get everything from it before I, I mentioned this, but I don't know if you've ever watched Family Guy, Barry. And if you haven't, I'm going to be very disappointed. The genius that is Seth MacFarlane and Family Guy and the little baby that, you know, runs the world kind of thing. Have you watched Family Guy? I have, but not a lot of it, to be oh. honest. I've, I watched a couple, but I certainly am not a, not a super fan, put it that way. Yeah, I mean, you've got to, got to give it a bit of uh, time, I suppose, and uh, you've got to be in the mood for it. Uh, but there was an episode where Peter Griffin, uh, basically the main, main character, has also created his own country, and I suppose under this exact same context. And he called it Pretoria, um, also based in the States, etc., etc., etc. So you've got to watch that episode, Barry, now that you've discovered this. I kind of wonder whether... You know, this Excellency President Kevin Bauer got, the, got his idea from Family Guy or, you know, whether it was the other way around. So funnily enough, Chad, the idea actually comes from even earlier than Family oh. Guy. So he got the idea from a movie from his childhood. And I can't remember the name right now, but the idea of the movie was exactly this. Two brothers who decided they were going to set up a country. Uh -huh. And the reason was is that they thought that they could cause some, some, some mischief, put it that way. <laughs> Um, and that movie was a, a comedy that he watched as a kid, and that's what kind of prompted him and his mate to, 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 to make this country. 
And so I think maybe Family Guy have even got it from there, perhaps, or I don't know. I don't know what the the, the string of events was, but it's such an amazing idea to think that I can just decide, put a flag in the ground, and say, "Cool, this is now a brand new country. We are now completely independent. Our rules are different, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Um, it just is a reminder to us that these 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 lines we draw in the sand that we call borders are completely arbitrary. They really are nothing yeah. more than just lines in the sand. And this is a great example of that, just reminding us that. We're all just humans running around on, in the dust, kind of doing our thing, pretending that all these things actually exist, pretending that currency is a real thing, pretending that the borders are a real thing, where it's actually all just in our imagination. Yeah, that's fascinating, especially when you said that it's legit and technically speaking it's correct, considering he owns the land. Just cannot believe that. And I wonder how long he's going to keep it up, uh, you know, going with. Um, and yeah, I mean, where all of his cookie dough stores are, because if that was my country, they would be gone. Barry, one thing very quickly. Um, do they have a national anthem? And if they don't, I'm going to play you a little you know, background and I'm, I want you on the spot to come up with something for the you know, Empire's Molossia. What do you think? Sure, Chad. That, that, is, that is a tall order. I didn't hear a national anthem. So I've no, no idea what, what <laughs> backing music you're about to give me. So who knows what's going to come out right now. Okay. But let's give it a go. Let, let's try and invent a, a national anthem for Molossia. All right. And... Moldosia, 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 give us your strength. We want to keep you in our land, the great land of Moldosia. <sighs> How's that, Chad? How's that? That was faster than I anticipated. I'll be honest. I love it. I love it. I know I gave you a fast one just to see what, what you'd do with it. But to be honest, I think you did pretty well there, Barry. Um, with Thank you. No Thank notice, uh, completely off the cuff. We're going to have to send it to President Kevin Barr and see what he thinks. We're going to have to. And I don't know if this was entertaining for you to listen to, but, you know, please don't shut off just yet. We've got a tiny <laughs> little bit more of, of actual stuff to cover. Um, but, yeah, that was really, really funny. Shall we move on, Barry? Please, please, Jeff. Please. <laughs> What's on your mind? All right, after I've fully embarrassed myself now, we're going to move to something that's a little bit more in our, in our comfort zone, let's just say that. Yeah. Uh, I got a question from one of my friends this week um, who, who wanted some, some answers from you, Chad, and so I'm looking okay. forward to hearing what you think. Uh, this friend is called Ashley. She lives in Australia. And th- let me talk to you through some of her, her questions here, Chad. She said, I want to get into photography or videography as a hobby. She's looking for a creative outlet on the side of her law career. Right, so okay. she's been wanting to get a GoPro for a while because she does a lot of running and cycling. Would love to like do portable kind of action stuff on on her on her routes, um, and she's wondering what camera should she start with? Like, is a GoPro a good option, or are there other options? She says it needs to be quite small and portable, and as well as affordable. So of course she's coming right. to this brand new. So she doesn't have a lot of money to spend on cameras and doesn't want to invest too much until she's figured out if this is actually a hobby that she's going to get into. So the two major questions, Chad. Number one. What do you think is the best or most affordable camera she should start with, considering she wants to do some outdoor filming as well? And then number two, just some general guidance. How would you start if you were taking up this hobby for the first time? Do you have any tips? What are some of the things to look out for? Uh, And what did you experience there? Yeah, fantastic, fantastic question. And, uh, you know, I I love that after we chat about cameras, this is the reaction. We're getting this kind of dialogue getting started. A lot of people didn't like to talk about, you know, tech gadgets and didn't want to be seen as being the person with the out there camera, but I, I love that we're getting there. Um, so anyway, my first point would be it depends what you're going to do with it. I know that's such a 
uh, very <laughs> sitting on the fence, Chad. Sitting, sitting on, on the, the fence, fence. <laughs> not giving a you know straight out answer. But I'll I'll certainly I'll certainly you know address all parts of the spectrum. So if you if you're just deciding, okay, is this for me? Uh, you know, you've got a couple of ideas in your head. You know, sort of things you want to make, but you know, don't know where to get started. I'm actually going to say, get started on your iPhone. Get started on your iPhone. Your iPhone has a great camera. Barry, you and I are both chatting on our iPhones right now. I've got a very, very expensive camera right next to me, but for various <laughs> reasons, it's not fit for purpose for what we're doing now. So I think figure out what you want to do and get a camera that ultimately replicates that. So if you wanted to do something, like you say, running or on your on your bicycle, yeah, maybe, maybe a GoPro might be a, a good place to start. But first, I would say look at the kind of mounts or, you know, gadgets that you could get to to make your iphone work especially when it comes to spending new money on a new device that's going to cost you know a lot of a lot of cash maybe you can just buy a few mountings or gadgets uh, to mount your phone onto your bicycle or you know be able to run with your phone whatever the case is some of the stabilization on on these iphones and uh, and ultimately some of the quality you can record up to 4k you can get gimbals for iphones you can do all sorts of stuff make them waterproof do all sorts of stuff um, so I would definitely say if you're completely, completely, uh, you know, new to this and don't want to spend a lot of money, just want to see if this is for you, start there. Start with your phone. If you did want to transition to like a GoPro kind of thing, obviously it's waterproof. You can go swimming, diving, doing all that kind of stuff. But instead of sending you the way of GoPro, I'm actually going to recommend to you the DJI Osmo Action. That's my action camera. And obviously it can be submerged in water and it can do all of the GoPro-y type stuff, time lapses, slow-mos, it shoots in 4K. It's got rock steady, which is really, really good for running. We're running footage. Um, that is insane level of stabilizing that you're going to get out of that um, that I'm going to say compares pretty well to the GoPro offering. Um, so definitely look into it, and it's a bit cheaper, I think, than the, than the GoPro 2. But the other thing I like about it is you can get all of these aftermarket sort of offerings on accessories. So I currently have, as you can see for the YouTube viewers, I've got this uh, kitted up basically to a cage that allows me to connect a hot shoe to the top with some really good quality microphone, uh, yeah, good quality microphone, which is important when you're creating content, when you're actually talking to the camera, you want people to be able to hear you clearly. Um, and that's the one thing I love about this is it has an input for a microphone as well. You can just get an adapter um, and ultimately be able to you know, plug that in as well. Similarly, you can clip this onto your bicycle and, and do that type of footage as well. Um, so I think it's a great, great uh, option, especially because it's also got a front-facing camera as well. And that's something that a GoPro might not be able to give you. So I would definitely check out the DJI Osmo Action if you're looking for an action cam. The third thing, if you're trying to take vlogging a bit more seriously, I don't think an action cam is going to get you the full way there. So then I would start recommending a kind of entry point and shoot camera. So the point and shoot is, is really that small format camera that you walk around with everywhere. That's got a lens inside it that you know comes out and, and goes in and lets you zoom as much as you want. Uh, some of them have really good uh, apertures as well. So let you get a lot of light in and that background blur that a lot of people love. Uh, the one that I would recommend on this front is the Canon G7X Mark II. A little bit more expensive, but as, as we're saying, we're going up the ranks here of, uh, of your filmmaking journey. Um, next up, then I would then I would recommend you into into the mirrorless line. Uh, so here we now are talking about bigger data capturing rates. We're talking about better quality, and like I said, I have kind of subscribed to the Fuji system. So I would recommend you start with uh, basically the travel camera. This is the Fuji Film XT30. That's the one that I'm showing to uh, the YouTube videos right now. So I'd recommend you start here. Um, still quite expensive, 
uh, but it basically comes with like a kit lens and you, you've ultimately got the option to over time adjust. You can change the lenses, you can do a lot of you know really creative stuff. You can buy a gimbal after that, you can do all sorts of other stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would say that's, that's really where to start and that, that's kind of the level up. Uh, and where I am obviously now is the one we spoke about last week, the X-T4, which just takes just to that next level. What do you think, Barry? It's, it sounds good, Chad. I think there's lots of good recommendations. I think, like you say, it really depends on your goals, right? You've got to figure yep. out what are your goals with this thing and then find the right tool for the right job. Because all of these cameras, they've all got their unique pros and cons. And so exactly. they all have design use cases, right? And so when you figure out exactly what you want to do with it, then it's much easier to make a recommendation. But I think there's enough in there, Chad, for her to get started and start looking at some yep. of these different models. And at least get started. I think that the iPhone comment thing is an important one. That like we have this yep. amazing camera in our pockets right now. Exactly. And so definitely get started with that and start working out how photography works, understanding framing and understanding exposures yep. and all that good stuff. Because you can learn a hell of a lot before you then upgrade to something more expensive and more powerful. Chad, let's move yep. on to some of the more kind of softer stuff about getting into photography itself. Are there any mistakes that you made right at the beginning of your journey that you'd want to advise people to, to be aware of in the first kind of month or two of getting into something like this? Yeah, definitely. The first mistake that I would say a lot of people uh, get into and one that I definitely did as well is transitions. Too much stuff, too many of these fancy effects <laughs> that actually end up um, making it a little, a little bit tatty, if we're honest. Um, depending on what editing program you're going to be using, a lot of these cameras or devices are going to have their own, you know, starter suites that you could use. And they're obviously good places to get started. I mean, you, Barry, got started on iMovie, um, which is a great place to get started. And what I would say on even on that front is strip out all the transitions. You don't need them. The majority of the videos that I make now, I don't use transitions, just simple cuts, simple fades, um, nothing, nothing too fancy. Because although it may feel like you're being fancy, you're ultimately... Uh, it, it doesn't come across well and, it, and it, it just looks a little bit tacky. What do you think? I agree completely. I think that the story matters way more than the way you yeah. edit, right? So I think a lot of us get excited about editing because there's so many new tools to use. I know I did the same thing. <laughs> and uh, it's easy to get caught up in trying to make sure that all those edits work out. So at the end of the day, if the story is, is compelling and really does pull the viewer in, that's what matters. And so focus on that before getting caught up in all the nitty gritties and all the fancy settings and all that good stuff and all transitions, like yeah. you say. All the little bits and nooks and crannies that you get to when you become more advanced. At the very beginning, just focus on that story. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. Let's just talk about that iPhone point, Barry, because this device that we have with us all the time is phenomenal. It's absolutely incredible. If you look at the iPhone 11 Pro and you look at the footage that comes out of it, I've seen loads of video of people comparing the results from that camera to their high-end cameras. And a lot of the time, the dynamic range you're getting out of this phone is, is comparable, um, which is just insane. Couple that with the ability of actually editing that footage on your phone. Uh, you don't need an expensive computer. You don't need anything else. Um, it, it really is just in incredible about what we can do these days, ultimately. And I guess a lot of the times I'm guilty of this as well. I find myself making excuses for not being able to produce things because I don't have the certain level of X, X, Y, Z. But we actually do. You're completely right. If you've got the idea, if you've got the story, I've seen incredible documentaries made on the iPhone. I'm pretty sure you'll be able to find YouTube channels that are dedicated just to that cause. And so definitely do go and explore that uh, because if you ever did think there was that kind of a limitation, go and watch these things. You're going to be blown away. Such an important point, Chad, and I'm glad we got there was because you have to just have to make stuff. 
at the end of the day, you just have to make lots of stuff and not yep. get caught in that that paralysis of like, I don't have the right gear, I don't have the right light, I don't have the right gimbal, I don't have the right X, Y, and Z. That's how we kind of procrastinate on things. And we are very good at that, Chad. We've had lots of conversations about this. Definitely. We are also good at procrastinating on stuff because we're like, I don't have the right whatever it is. The real solution to any of this is just to make and make and make and make and move on and move on. Because the more you make, the better practice you're going to be, the better you're going to get at it. And you kind of have to, have to accept that your first few are not going to look as good as you think they're going to look exactly. in your head, right? In yep. your head, it's going to look incredible. It's going to look cinematic. It's going to be Hollywood material. You're like, everyone's <laughs> going to love this. And you're going to get there and you're going to look at your editing. I know how I had this experience and I was like, oh my word, this looks terrible <laughs> compared to what was in my head, right? And so it's getting over that barrier of just realizing that this takes time. And, and, and I, I like the way you're, you're approaching it, Ashley, about taking it as a hobby yep. and as creative expression. Take that pressure off. It doesn't yep. matter what it looks like at the end of the day. It matters that you're making things. And so I'd encourage you to, whatever, whatever camera you end up going with, whatever setup you have, don't let that get in the way of just telling stories and actually making yep. things and sharing them with the world. If you can do that, I promise you all of the joy is in that sharing. It's not in mm. debating this camera versus this camera, this lens versus this lens, et cetera, et cetera. 100%. And what a great, great place to end up our episode on. I think we've done the one-hour mark a lot better justice than we have in previous weeks, Barry. I know those episodes have been creeping up in length, um, but I, what can we do? Some some weeks we have more to to chat about, more rabbit holes to go under. Um, this week we've just it's just worked out well. Definitely, I, I think that we are, I'm proud of myself actually that way. we haven't <laughs> we haven't gone on too long, Chad. Um, but but we're also passionate about these topics, so it's easy to kind of spill out. I mean, if you gave me the time, Chad, I'd talk for hours. <laughs> so it's good that we kind of set ourselves some sort of soft limits. And hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. I certainly have enjoyed this, Chad. Episode 40 has been a cracker. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see you again next week. Well, Barry, if you're talking for hours, that's what, that's what, that's what <laughs> I start doing. Exactly. Exactly. No one wants to go through that. No one wants to go through that. Uh, I'm just kidding. Thanks everyone for tuning in and uh, we'll definitely see you next week.